0: It's now time for your Election Crimes Bulletin with Greg Pallast. And this is Dennis Bernstein with Greg Pallast. This is your weekly Election Crimes Bulletin that we do every Thursday with our good friend and contributor Greg Pallast. Uh, Greg, uh, there's a lot to talk about, but just sort of a quick, uh, we told you so. It seems as though this Florida operation, this national security investigation is going down that black hole of national security. And once again, the focus is going on other investigations that will not be lost in endless appeals that could go all the way to the Supreme Court. And as we know, while Donald J. Trump has trouble hiring good lawyers, he has no problem getting judges to dance to his music. So, just in a word or two, where are we in Florida land in the abyss of national security?
1: Well, let's keep in mind: not only did uh, Trump appoint the judges as president, but uh, his lawyer, Roy Cohn, was the guy who had his hand in—in in, uh, basically, was able to veto any judge he didn't like sitting on the bench for many years in New York and, and beyond. So. Trump has always had a kind of legal path that none of you, that that the normal mortals don't have, but what I'm concerned with with um, um, the national security issue is that we're it's a national security issue. We are getting away from overturning an election, and the media is doing the easy story because they want to go from press releases what the Justice Department said, and then oh here's crazy Trump's reply, et cetera. That's easy journalism. No one's asking or investigating what could be in those documents. And that's important because we really do need to, in fact, instead of the master saying, having a master saying, well, this should be top secret and this shouldn't be, et cetera. The question is, these are all our documents. It's the government of the people and by the people. And I want to know what's in those documents. If, for example, we do know that there were two impeachment hearings. First one Uh, in which um, uh, Trump was accused of muscling Ukraine, which has become kind of a serious matter of of threatening to withhold military support if they didn't go after, you know, do some kind of uh, fake trial or uh, investigation of uh, Hunter Biden. And I would like to know whether what Trump did was spear-away boxes of material, which, which he had withheld from Congress during the impeachment hearings, On Ukraine that's kind of a serious matter Uh, the second uh, and and what about those documents about Ukraine the second is uh, the second impeachment trial to what extent was the president actually involved in the planning of setting up an illegal operation to have alternative delegates this is very different than saying I don't agree with the vote and I challenge the vote and the the big lie and you know uh, whether he should be removed from Twitter I'm talking about whether he was actively involved in this planning and whether you can take the, the evidence of criminality and simply mark it top secret and it gets put away. I mean, so I'm, I'm less concerned about these being national security documents than these being important American documents for possible prosecution and a review of what happens. And no one seems to be going after the substance it's all about national security, and I'm sorry, I've never been a big, a big fan of those. Uh, as a journalist, as an investigative journalist, well, that, I've never that's been a big fan see, of that's what blows my mind. Uh, designations, right, Greg? That's yeah.
0: what blows my mind because you see, the you really do see these so-called reporters, whatever pundits, acting like either stenographers for the State Department, or the uh, Defense Department, and they, it's like. Ah, I don't want to see, I'm a journalist, I'm a journalist, but I don't want to see these documents in uh, that may tell me some crucial information about the way in which the United States government is treating its own people or other people might have something to do with foreign policy, getting involved in illegal wars. You know, we've seen a lot of these kind of fake operations uh, backed up by, didn't we get into uh, the Iraq war? I think Joe Biden supported that, but I want to mention that. Didn't we, uh, didn't we like get the wrong information and go to war? The wrong secret information
1: yeah how many I times a, yeah exactly this is a good time to have a discussion about the value of of massive secrecy in a in what is supposed to be an open government and i'm very concerned because after all uh, what is Ch- what was chelsea manning charged with and, and convicted of uh, and what is snowden facing uh, prison, and of course Assange they're facing a life in prison, supposedly for revealing secrets. But what they're doing is they're revealing truth that our government is hiding from us. You know, One thing I did, you because know, I spent a lot of time with the WikiLeaks documents, I did not find one sentence in any of them. And I went through thousands and thousands of pages and got tremendous stories about what our government hid from us. What I never didn't find in a single page was anything which compromised national security or the safety of, say, some foreign agent or officer. There was nothing like that. So what we have as a government, and now I'm concerned that the subliminal message about Trump secreting the papers at Mar-a-Lago is that the concern is not that he is hiding the truth from the public, but that he is somehow going to reveal some secrets. We suddenly. Suddenly, the press is the defender of secrecy, and and the role of the press is to defend openness. So, the question is, from a public policy view and from a journalist view, what Trump has done is hiding the truth in the basement or in his in his uh, closet in Mar-a-Lago. It's not about oh my gosh, he had some top secret uh, some some uh, top secret document that uh, that one of his uh, Russian res- residents at Mar-a-Lago playing golf will sneak in and 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 capture. That's I really don't care, okay? Uh, I think that, that uh, most of the world knows that we have nukes. <laughs> we can blow them. up. You know, so, it, so the press is going for the easy story and, as opposed to trying to do the digging to find out what's in those papers. And are they important to the public? Not whether they're top secret, but whether it's a secret of the government being withheld from us.
0: It's sunlight is disinfectant. Could you imagine somebody hands one of these dudes the Pentagon Papers, the modern version, and they say, oh, this is a government document. I better go right back and give it back. I don't even want to see it. I'm covering my eyes because I don't want to see well, what the U.S. I've government been... or any government is up to.
1: This is very important. There's no doubt in my mind that if Daniel Ellsberg went to the New York Times or Washington Post today with the Pentagon Papers, they'd say, sorry, that's secret documents. We cannot reveal government secrets. It's, see, it's Mark top, top secret, Mr. Ellsberg. You know, uh, yeah, it would not happen today. There is a, uh, it's, it's not com- I wouldn't even call it complicity. I call it a love affair between the national security um, agencies and our, um, and our press. And of course, part of it is that they drip feed them what they like. So people, I know in Washington there's this whole issue of they want access. So they get a couple tidbits very selective. And, you know, we, we saw it finally hit bottom, actually, during the war in Iraq, when Judith Miller was embedded at the Pentagon from the New York Times. And the key thing is the Times did not say that she was embedded in being given BS, where she was writing articles saying, ah, the government's not telling you, how, you know, that, in fact, Saddam's weapons of mass destructions are worse than they're even revealing. So, it's you know, I'm very concerned about this new system of protection uh, in which journalists are going out of their way to protect national security. That's not our job. Our dis- our job is to reveal the truth, and sometimes it's difficult, and frankly, sometimes it's even dangerous. After all, Daniel Ellsberg was revealing the entire analysis of the war in Vietnam while it was on. If you could ever make a case that someone was endangering lives of our soldiers by revealing secrets, it was Daniel Ellsberg. But at least we had a, finally a judge who said, you know, we don't have an official secrets act in the United States. So, you know, again, we're bringing up this issue of, of uh, distraction. I mean, should Donald Trump be allowed to just uh, uh, deep six files just secrete them? You know, again, I want to know what's in those empty folders that they found. But I'm right. more concerned about not whether it reveals our nuclear secrets. I doubt if Donald Trump has taken that stuff or even knew he had that stuff. I suspect that it has a lot to do with the two impeachment hearings and what was withheld from us and that's what we need to know i'd like that stuff made public not determine whether it's top secret or not
0: absolutely i'm all for that you're listening to the election crimes bulletin on flashpoints with greg palast greg Now, let's turn our attention back to Georgia, to Atlanta, to what's going on on the ground there. The Senate race has gotten very close. And, you know, uh, I don't have to tell you the closer the race gets, the easier it is to steal.
1: Okay, so, again, I know we keep going back to Georgia. And I'd like not to, by the way. If you think I like uh, flying to Georgia every year for the past nine years, it's just that that's where the GOP takes out its, uh, its vote suppression tricks. a test drive and where it's most significant it is the swing state of america right now senator warnock reverend warnock is uh depending on which poll either two points behind herschel walker the republican trump-backed candidate or he's uh, a point ahead of herschel walker in other words it's a statistical dead heat if warnock loses the senate goes republican Stacey abrams is also in a statistical heat uh, with kemp though sometimes people think she's a little down that's all the horse race stuff, which you and I do not spend a lot of time on. And I, the only reason I bring it up is your point, is that the closer the race, the easier it is to steal. We have to be careful about using the term steal these days because you'll get taken off the air. Uh, yes. but, it is, but, you know, uh, Dennis, when your car is stolen, you don't say, my car has been suppressed. My car has been suppressed. No, it's been stolen. So if they suppress your vote. So now what's happening in Georgia uh, you know, I, I've been focusing on that. In fact, we'll have a film about uh, called Vigilante, Georgia's Vote Suppression Hitman, uh, October 19th at the Grand Lake, which will be a fundraiser for KPFA. We'll also do a similar one for KPFK. If you're listening, stay tuned on that. But the important thing is that it's gotten pretty horrible. Right now, 37,000 voters, 37,000 voters were just challenged by a group called Vote. GA, which is for Georgia. Vote Georgia. Uh, if you remember Michael Flynn, the national security uh, advisor under under uh, Agent Orange, he and his brother have created this group. They've challenged 37,000 voters in a single county, Gwinnett, which is a county which is kind of changing uh, white to black and a uh, suburb of Atlanta. 37,000 voters in one county, and they're planning other challenges. Now, what does that mean to challenge voter? They're saying they're handing in literally spreadsheets to the county government saying, uh, don't count these people's votes, which is allowed under the new law signed by uh, Governor Brian Kemp, SB 202 last year, which allows any individual voter to challenge an unlimited number of voters. Because you Because most of America, in fact, most of the the South, has always had this kind of vigilante vote challenge law where I can say Dennis Bernstein doesn't live in California, don't let him vote. But what makes SB 202 uh, new and dangerous in this election is that one person can challenge an unlimited number. That woman that you heard screaming at me. She personally challenged 32,000 voters, and she said it was so expensive and difficult to print it out that she just handed in a thumb drive. These guys are literally handing in electronic spreadsheets with voters mostly of color. Now, here's the thing. To get you, well, how do you get your vote back? They, you find – if you're lucky enough to find out, you've been challenged. And remember, if you're challenged on Election Day, how do you find out? You've cast your ballot. How do you know it's been challenged? Or you've mailed in your ballot or put it in a drop box. How do you know it's been challenged? You're supposed to get a postcard, and you know, it looks like junk mail, and then you have a 10 days to show up at a court-like hearing to prove you are who you are. But these, this challenge list, just so you know, was created by a guy named Garland Favorito working with Michael Flynn. And um, there is a – we had a guy named Zach Roberts. You know, when you said it's a one-man election operation, no, it isn't. It's the I whole know. house investigative team. And our, under, and our undercover specialist is Zach D. Roberts, uh, who uses his – he has another legal name, legal. And he actually took training from Garland Favorito on how you knock off voters. So we got inside. Uh, by the way, when you talk about journalism, I did have a bureau chief from the New York Times said if you work for the New York Times and you did that, we'd fire you. And at BBC, I would get uh, a promotion because they said if you need a story and you have to go inside, going undercover is almost stopped happening in the United States. We, it, have you, when was the last time you heard of a major undercover investigation by any uh, major news outlet in the U.S.? I did at BBC all the time. And for the Guardian, that was – in fact, it was required. If you couldn't get the, the information through the front door, you had to go inside and get it. Now, so we do that, and we found out that the methods that they were using were beyond ridiculous, but they – from the point of view of fair voting, that is, they're removing voters, legal voters, or challenging clearly legal voters, including, as we know, they're special – they seem to specialize on identifying African-American soldiers – who are assigned elsewhere, uh, who are out, you know, so they ask for an absentee ballot. But they've also put in change of address forms because they're assigned for a few months to say, um, as, as we know, one soldier, Fort Wyneme, California, where a Georgia uh, military uh, career officer, his vote was challenged because he was assigned to Fort Wainimi. Uh So they use these change of address forms put in by black soldiers and, and other vulnerable voters, and uh, all the soldier had to do, he called up. He found out he was lucky because he called up and found out that he was challenged because he, he was looking for an absentee ballot didn't arrive. They said, well, uh, you've been challenged. You can't get your ballot, but you can. Uh, well, what do I do? Uh, no problem. Just come in. He says, I'm 2,600 miles away. I'm twenty-six. You want me to come in? Yes, that's what the law absolutely requires. Now, very important to know that that We're also looking at challenges in Texas and Florida. If you remember, there, there was an other right-wing group, um, True the Vote, which had put in 364,000 challenges. Several thousand of those are still live. And, and again, the closeness of the race means that oh, – put it this way, it's real simple. We all know that uh, Joe Biden – Won Georgia officially by less than twelve thousand votes. You knock off thirty-seven thousand black voters in just Gwinnett. That's the state.
0: Can both you know, sides the do Senate these challenges? Why wouldn't Why wouldn't the Democrats be challenging their butts off? I, I, I guess that just ends the the nature of the election. Everybody's challenge. Well, can't the Democrats? Uh, I'm going to challenge these thirty-five hundred people. These. Uh,
1: yeah, and on it goes. Or, or, as they, or the Republicans did 364,000 voters. This is no joke going on here. This is big, big, big. It's not small stuff. And, but both uh, sides have uh, the possibility. Asked, Why don't the Democrats do it? Why don't the Democrats do it? Yeah, uh, that's that's I'm the question. I'm glad that we they get. don't. I I don't give them advice, but I you know I don't think that that we should have a a vote suppression Olympics in Georgia. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> I hope that, what, that the, what the Democrats will do is two things, or any voting rights group, because I don't I don't talk to Democrats, just, but I work with the voting rights group, like Black Voters Matter, and, and New Georgia Project, which <laughs> it's, I know, it's pretty funny. I mean, I, believe me, you could have a, quite an Olympic. Brian Kemp would win the gold medal, so there's no sense even entering the contest. That's and, the and that's that's really
0: not hyperbole, is it? As our president no. might say every day.
1: So uh, one of the problems that we uh, – I mean, one of the things to, to recognize here, and I wanted to give a little history because it's always important to, to know what the history is. Uh, Brian Kemp did not in, invent the voter challenge, nor did Michael Flynn and his Voter Georgia group with their hundred, literally hundreds of thousands of, of challenges. It was first – the first mass challenge of voters was conducted by a guy named Eugene Talmadge who was running for governor of Florida. And uh, he'd already been governor, he was rerunning. And Franklin Roosevelt had promised voters, uh, black soldiers, that when they returned to Georgia, they would be uh, allowed to vote. So he used the same challenge method used by Brian Kemp, Talmadge, but he told his uh, uh, backers, that was the, at that time that was the Ku Klux Klan, he was their candidate, To challenge black voters, and they filled out mimeo sheets, but at the time they only challenged one or two voters at a time because they didn't have computers. They hadn't gone like Brian Kemp and his buddies into cyberspace to challenge tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. But they they filled out so many forms that in many counties the FBI came down and investigated. Now, that's very interesting. Unlike now, the FBI is going to Mar-a-Lago instead of Georgia instead of investigating the mass challenges in Georgia. But in 1946, after Roosevelt died, uh, Truman's FBI came down and ran a massive investigation in Georgia and said, every single black voter in some of these counties has been challenged, even though the challenger doesn't even know who this black person is. Uh, And that's... The woman who threw me out of her house. When I said, "Do you know any of these thirty-two thousand people?" I even gave her some of the names because I had their photos. I had talked to them, and by the way, I put one of them on the phone to her. I said, "Have you spoken? to you know these people?" No, I don't know them. The F at 1946, the FBI recommended the indictment of Talmadge. He did win the governorship through this gimmick. It was a tightly fought race. Believe it or not, there was a his Democratic challenger because his only, you know, it was all primaries in Georgia. Uh, His Democratic challenger actually believed that black people, that especially returning soldiers, had a right to vote. But he lost because of this challenge game. The FBI, we just got the 800-page file from the FBI, and the FBI said indict him for mass felony interference with voting because even before the Voting Rights Act, this game was illegal it was a direct violation of the 15th amendment of the constitution you know which we won with 600,000 dead americans so they were going to Amazing indict him in 46 so where is garland uh, where is our uh, you know our current uh, ag right now if they could indict the georgians for these racist challenges in 46 why not the challenges in 2022 uh,
0: well, that's a good question. Greg, we're running out of time, so let's uh, maybe mm-hmm. we can conclude with a, uh, a, a sort of a brief reminder, background reminder on the, the DA's case, uh, because that's a real uh, live yep. wire case uh, possible. Rico, remind people what that's about.
1: Okay, so we now have uh, Fannie Willis, the district attorney for Fulton County, which is most of, of Atlanta. Is, uh, has impaneled a grand jury with the approval of Republican judges, just so, just so you're clear on this. You know, it's not because she's been accused of that this is all political uh, hatchet right. job. It was Republican judges who impaneled a grand jury. Uh, we were looking into whether uh, Trump or associates, including Rudy Giuliani, uh, True the Vote and uh, operative Cleta Mitchell and others, uh, Lindsey Graham, improperly attempted to uh, influence and interfere with the election by creating a list of alternative electors who were never ran for election, that is, to, rep- to represent a presidential candidate. It's a crime. It's a felony go-to-jail crime. So that's continued. The one thing is, as you know, we've talked about it, Governor Brian Kemp was subpoenaed, and he, had, he did every type of rain dance, somersault. It was quite a, a, a jiggle contest there with, with Brian Kemp avoiding speaking to the grand jury, even though he's just a witness. They Fannie Willis even said you could testify by Skype, believe it or not, with his lawyer next to him. This is never done to accommodate him because he says, "Well, I'm running for you know re-election. I don't have time," which is a whole new, you know, a whole new uh, interesting argument. A judge said, "And uh, we're going to hold his uh, deposition." Uh, before the grand jury's testimony until after the election. And I'm concerned about that because the truth is, I think if the guy is running for governor, we should know what he knows about interference in Georgia's elections and whether he participated and what happened. I think that the voters of Georgia really ought to know what happened in his calls with President Trump. Did he really say, no, I, I'm not going to change the vote, or did he really say, uh, "I'll just call the guy who works for me down the hall, the Secretary of State, because then Trump called the Secretary of State. I would like to know, I mean, I think that the Georgia voters need to know, what does Brian Kemp know and when did he know it? You know, the question we used to ask about Richard Nixon during Watergate. But we will not get that answer because he won't be required to testify until after the the election. And this is slowing up the whole process of a potential indictment uh, against those in, involved. But it's a very serious case. And unlike the federal government, Fannie Willis is not a political operative, and they are less restricted in Georgia by the rule that the Justice Department put upon itself that it can't bring prosecution, which may in some way, uh, influence the outcome of an election. But think about that. That's kind of odd. If someone is a criminal, let's say that Donald Trump is found to be a criminal. Well, then we kind of ought to know that if he's going to run for re-election. The information should be public. It's not about influencing the election. It's about providing information to the public, making a decision on an election. And that's why I'm very concerned with this new business of saying we're not going to we're not going to investigate politicians, basically, especially if they're running for office. They got some type of uh, get out of jail free pass, or at least, well, and, um, it, and it really,
0: Greg, it's a perversion. Escape. It's a perversion of something that made a little bit of sense in terms of, you know, there's all kinds of gotcha possibilities with fake news stories that you could go after politicians, you know, uh, you you do it a week before the election, and you know, who knows if it's true, it's not true. I mean, there is something to that, but they've taken that that idea uh, and really used it. Oh, you tried to overthrow the government, you killed seven cops. Uh, Oh, but you're running for an election. Uh, Okay, we'll get into that later.
1: So that's what I thought, you know, it's being used weirdly as a shield when it was supposed to be used to prevent manipulation of elections by, you know, by rogue prosecutors. Instead, it's become a a strange shield, which is which is widening. And, you know, again, we go back to the idea. What should a voter be allowed to know? Oh, we'll tell you later whether you voted for a criminal. Really? That's our new standard. I'm getting very concerned about this new uh, politician protection racket.
0: All right. That's Greg Pallast. He's reachable always at gregpallast.com. He's working on a powerful new film. We're all very excited about that. We're going to be a part of a special presentation. We'll tell you more about that coming up in October. Greg Pallast, please stay safe and uh, keep the good information coming in for the Election Crimes Bulletin with Greg Pallast at gregpallast.com. Stay safe, Greg. I'll try